Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Joy McKay, an award-winning writer and editor who's been behind some of the best content I've ever read for publications like Fast Company, Lifehacker, Business Insider, and more. Now, when I say Jory is one of the most talented writers I've ever personally had the pleasure of working with, I could not be more serious. Over the past couple of years, Jory and I have taken on several content marketing clients together on the side of our day jobs. He regularly writes insanely well-written articles for our clients, often in excess of 5,000 words or more, and I help out on the promotion side of things while sourcing new deals for us. Hailing from Montreal, Canada, Jory originally studied writing and journalism before beginning to work with startups like Crew, Unsplash, Rescue Time, and more. In this episode, Jory and I talk about how he's built his writing muscle over the years to the point where he can sit down and bang out several thousands of words writing a long-form article in one day. We dig into the details of his personal writing process from structuring the perfect outline to writing a compelling introduction and weaving in strategic calls to action throughout your article. We cover the essential elements of crafting SEO-optimized content that's designed to rank well in search engines, how to drive massive amounts of readers to your blog, and more. Now, one quick note before we get into today's interview. For the first few minutes of our conversation, there's a little bit of microphone feedback from Jory's shirt brushing up against his mic, and we tried to edit that out, but it wasn't going to be possible before getting you this episode on time, so thank you for bearing with us here. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at writerop.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Jory McKay. Jory, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this conversation is uh, quite long overdue, if I do say so. Um, (laughs) I want to give everyone a little bit of context around how we know each other here today. Um, and I'd say well over a year, actually, we've been kind of like this two-person uh, miniature content marketing agency, freelancing kind of thing, both of us doing this on the side of a bunch of other projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've sort of fallen into this role of finding clients, managing relationships, promoting the work, and you're focused on the actual difficult stuff, writing super in-depth, long-form content. Um, so that's kind of the, the context here today. And with that in mind, um, you're someone that I think of as, as a very talented writer. Um, well, and I wanted to kind of just touch on, touch on this as a starting point. Where did that really begin for you? When did you get interested in writing? You know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because it definitely wasn't the goal from the outset of things. Um, I loved writing as a kid. Um, embarrassingly, I used to write Indiana Jones fan fiction as a kid. I didn't know what fan fiction was, but I was at my parents' house recently and I found all these short stories I'd written uh, about Indiana Jones. That was sort of a a very early foray into writing. But um, yeah, so for years, I I actually did music. I was a, I don't know, semi-professional musician for four or five years. And then when that sort of died out, I decided to go back to school and... uh, I had no idea. I liked reading. I liked writing. So I did a degree in English literature and what they called professional writing, which ended up being a journalism class. Um, so it kind of just fell into things that way. Um, went into my career at that point. I was a magazine editor for a couple of years in the UK. 
and then came back to Canada and switched to startups because there's more money in it. <laughs> <laughs> the true, honest answer. There we I go. Know. No, I mean, lots of love and lots of respect for people who do journalism. I think it's, a, it's an amazing career for people who can do it. I didn't have the passion for that. I loved writing. I loved language a bit more than journalism and reporting. So, um, you know, you find your outlets and what works for you. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, do you feel like going to journalism school, professional writing, whatever we want to call it, um, gave you some benefits that you still see playing out today in what you're doing? Sure, massive. So, so two, two I'll start with. Um, one is research, um, which was amazing. I mean, just in general, doing a literature degree, doing a lot of essay writing, a lot of things like that, you learn to do, you know, primary source research, um, digging into things, going beyond surface level, finding interesting facts, or, you know, also learning what's interesting in a document. Um, I had a journalism professor who... Uh, <laughs> He was responsible for taking down a bunch of uh, politicians at some point in his earlier career from, you know, digging into documents and finding like very specific little incriminating things. And so he really pushed us um, to dig deep, to go into documents that you didn't totally understand, um, you know, legislation, uh, things like that, legalese, and uh, find those little pieces. So that, that sense of being able to take on large research projects. That was a huge, huge benefit, I think. Um, second is definitely, I did a copy editing class, which was brutal. Um, I think it had like a 50% <laughs> failure dropout rate, you know, within two weeks, that class was in half. It was just a, a terrible, terrible situation. Um, but it really, really just dialed in the tools, you know, the tools of writing structure, sentence structure, grammar, everything, which might not matter so much on the internet these days. Uh, but I think, you know, to subvert the rules, you kind of have to know them in the first place. So um, that was huge. And I think just as a third thing, just uh, basic interviewing skills, um, massive, massive as well for, for anything you're doing online now, talking to people, doing interviews, doing what you do. I mean, it's, it was just a huge benefit for me to go through the awkward phase at school rather than at a job. Yeah. yeah I can actually really resonate with the, the awkward phase part that you just mentioned. Um, because I did that in real time with like the first, you know, call it 50, maybe even a hundred interviews I did. Great, right. Um, <laughs> and it's kind of cringeworthy looking back on the very early ones. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I, I actually just did an interview for a student journalist at uh, a school in New York. I, he just contacted me out of the blue. And it was funny. I heard the nervousness in the voice. It was amazing. It just kind of tossed me right back. So, um, yeah, glad to be past that stage at this point in my career. So, Joy, for all of our bloggers, writers, marketers out there who are still kind of forming their writing muscle, maybe figuring out what their strengths are, how to kind of get better at this practice of writing, um, what would be your advice for those kind of just still starting down what I think is a very long path to eventually becoming a skilled writer? Where, where do you really start with kind of building that muscle? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a hard question because one of the things that I, I recognize now more than earlier in my career that is the importance of uh, domain expertise, you know, um, understanding what you're talking about, knowing at least a few things so you can make those those connections while you're writing. Um, I think that's very high level in a sense. And that's not to say you can't write about things that you don't know. I mean, you know, 
Ryan, you know that for sure. We've worked on projects uh, for oh, clients yeah. where I have no idea. <laughs> but there's goes back to research. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It does. And that base understanding of what, what makes sense, what's interesting, what's good for people to be able to read. So I think, honestly, one of the biggest things you can do as a writer in any field is, is to read. Read the people in the space. Read the people who are doing well. Build a bit of a, you know, a taste meter in a sense so you can sort of say this is good and this isn't, and this is why, you know, talking to other writers is, is huge, which I think a lot of people don't do because, you know, if you're a freelancer working from home, it's really easy to just sit there and type away or, or stay online or, or really silo yourself. Um, and I, I saw a huge, huge benefit once I started reaching out and, and being more engaged with other writers, other people in the space. Um, that was, that was such a big step, uh, both creatively and from skill and also business wise. I like that. I think that's really good advice. Um, so, you know, another thing that I know, um, at least I'm personally a fan of is creating habits. And this is something that, you know, we both read James Clear's work. I had him on the podcast. He talked literally all about habits. Yeah. Um, so how do habits kind of play a role for you? Do you have like, you know, blocks of time where you know you're going to sit down and write or is it a little bit more um, kind of cobbled together each week? No, fully. I'm a creature of habit. I've been, I've been, I've been freelance or remote for five, six years at this point now. Um, I haven't been in an office in ages. And so it's, you know, it's that, it was that initial freedom of being, oh, you can work whenever you want, wherever you want, which seems like this amazing freeing thing. But in reality, like the constraints that habits and your schedule and everything create for you are, are so massive. So, so personally for me, I know my best uh, work comes first thing in the morning. And for me, that means I usually start around 8.30 um, and I'm writing till about noon, maybe a little bit later than that. Um, I use rescue time to track my time and I have an alert set up for three hours of time writing. And if I don't hit that three hour block by the time it's around 12.30 ish, um, I kind of know I'm having a bad day. So it's just like a little, little progress reminder, a little piece of feedback that I use um, personally. Um, but yeah, I mean, around other than that, it's like, you know, I know that that's my time. And I've, I've talked to a lot of people. So I, I recently chatted with Alex Pong, the guy who wrote uh, Rest. Um, and he's doing a, a big thing right now on the four-day work week, basically, talking to all these entrepreneurs and companies. Um, and the biggest thing that he's always found in these prolific people is that as long as you can be, uh, you know, incredibly productive for four to five hours a day, that's all you need. You don't need to sit around for eight hours, 10 hours. You don't have to try to grind out writing or coding or designing or whatever you're doing for 10 hours. I mean, if you can do that in five, why not? You can do that in four or three or two. And I think just, you know, optimizing your schedule and your habits for that section of intense focus is just huge. That is very liberating to hear. <laughs> so what, are the, what is the role of like, how do you deal with distractions, right? So you mentioned you use rescue time to kind of keep track of how much focus time you're putting in. Mm -hmm. uh, does rescue time help with distractions? Do you just know not to open up your inbox? Do you quit out of Slack? Like, how do you deal with all these kind of inputs, making requests on your time throughout the day? Sure. I, I got a few of those. I mean, obviously, um, I use rescue time for another thing. They have a focus or a, a website blocker in it. Um, so I have an automatic thing where I get 30 minutes of block distractions first thing in the morning. So no opening Facebook and Twitter, going through news first thing. So that first section of time, 
um, it's amazing just to break you out of that habit of, you know, I need to check everything first before I get into it. Because I find if I do that, my thoughts start scattering, it's harder to focus, I lose that really that prime time in the first part of the morning. Um, and as part of that, I also don't check email. I don't even open Slack until around 11 a.m. Um, I'm lucky in that my role and my job allows me to sort of be outside of those constraints that a lot of other people have. Um, but I've also made sure that every job or, or client I've had moving forward has understood that, you know, I need that autonomy of time because I think it's so important. Yeah, I think that's a good way to frame it too, is that like, hey, listen, if you want my highest quality output, like this is kind of the framework that I need in order to do that. And that's totally, and that was all yeah. trial and error too, man. I mean, I had a freelance client a couple of years ago who would get me on these three hour long phone calls to go over documents and stuff. And Ooh. yeah, and then once I started billing him for it, then he understood that uh, <laughs> we couldn't do that, but yeah, it's, uh, I think it's important to just have control over your time as much as possible, um, especially nowadays with more people being remote, being freelance, being outside of the, the traditional workspace. Yeah. And on a related note, I, I don't know if you kind of manage emails the same way, but like my absolute best days, I, I'm similar to you in that my best creative time is the, you know, first three to five hours of the day, right? Mm-hmm. So like, for me, that tends to be like 6 a.m. till like, 10 or 11 a.m. And yeah, you're crazy or, early. I, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to like keep myself in the right mindset, I have to literally not look at my email inbox before mm-hmm. I sit down and start writing. So like on my best days, when I actually stick to the habits that I've kind of, or the schedule that I've set for myself, I won't look at email until 10, 11 a.m. And that's, that's kind of like when I know I've had the best possible like creative morning I, I can. Definitely. And I mean, even just the science behind context switching for us mentally, I mean, I mean, we know multitasking, context switching just kind of kills your ability to think um, creatively to sort of stay focused. And the more you do that earlier in the day, the less chance you have of being productive for the rest of the day. Um, you're literally getting outside of the bed at the, on the wrong side. It's just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how about environment for you? Is it, is it important that you have like, you know, this, this very um, clear creative space for you when it's time to sit down and write? Or can you kind of like write from a plane, write from an airport lounge? Like, can you do what you do from anywhere? Or do you need to kind of have like, you know, your, your home base that's all set up? You've got your water here, your phone there. What, what does that kind of look like for you when you sit down to write? I'm boring, man. Uh, I, I can work from anywhere for the most part. Um, I find as long as I can toss some headphones in, it doesn't really matter where I am. Um, I think a big part of that comes from early on being in a newsroom and being in uh, a publishing house or uh, a big magazine publisher where I've got, you know, my sales guy beside me on the phone screaming nonstop and my managing editor across from me, you know, yelling edits for this page and that page and things like that. And you just kind of learn to, you know, live within the chaos. Um, That being said, I've still been struggling with what an optimal workspace looks like. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with what's on your laptop um, more than what's around you. Um, That being said, I kind of jump around. I got a spot at home. I've got a little office. I work from coffee shops almost every single day. It's, uh, I don't know. I'm a... A creature of of whims, I guess. I get to two hours somewhere, and I just get bored, and I got to move somewhere. And uh, yeah, 
that's uh, that's how that works. No, no, like crazy has to be a certain way. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That's cool. That's something where um, you know we were. I, I had Darren Murph on the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, world's most prolific blogger holds yeah. like the Guinness World Record, right? Wow, insane amount of blog posts he published while he was at Engadget, and it, mm-hmm. he had kind of the same thing to say. It was like coming from a kind of journalistic background, he learned how to write from like literally wherever he had to be in the moment, and like. For me, that's something where I'm still working on it. Like I, I'm very like environmentally, um, you know, affected, right? So like Definitely. being at my desk is really important or being at like a very specific kind of coffee shop or co-working right. space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, yeah. But uh, hey, I wanted to transition the conversation a little sure. bit. So um, I want to talk about in-depth, long-form SEO stuff. Yeah. You're, you're a pro at creating this kind of content, the stuff that's like really designed to rank well in organic search and generate traffic over the course of like months, years, mm-hmm. you know, not just like short poppy stuff that you see on publications. So um, what would you say are some of the most essential elements of those kinds of articles um, that people should be investing their time into? What, what, what should you kind of focus on if you want to go for the long-form content direction? Sure. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're interested in SEO posts like this or things that are going to rank well, I mean, you can read a bajillion articles that are going to tell you to, you know, write between two and 4,000 words and, and do this sort of thing and that sort of thing. And um, I think that just comes down to, you know, picking data points that don't really relate to the reality of, of doing this. Like words on page don't really matter. Um, I think it's, it's about well-researched topics. It's about a long post that gives a lot of information that has a lot of good context, flows well, has a, a really good structure. Um, and I think that comes down to how you set up the article itself, how you set up your own time constraints. Um, and I'm really big on that, time constraints when it comes to writing posts like this. Um, I don't allow myself to just spend hours doing research. Um, in fact, I sort of the way I set up an outline for a post dictates the way that I actually approach it. Um, so I'll start by writing uh, a very basic sort of one line. This is what I want to do at the top of a document. Um, I'll write a couple headline options off the top of my head because sometimes that frames the way I'm thinking about a topic. Um, then I do keyword research uh, using a tool, bringing in a bunch of stuff. I spend a bunch of time on keyword research because that can also inform what you're going to look for. Um, and then from those, I look at top search results, pull a bunch of links into a document, open a bunch of those into a, a different browser window, um, and then just start reading, pulling ideas, pulling thoughts, and allowing that to create a structure and an outline for a post. Um, so usually by the time it comes to actually writing, I've got an outline, I've got keywords I want to hit, I've got headlines for all the different sections, I've got some key points, some quotes I want to borrow from people, some data points. Um, and then it's just kind of filling it in and making it sound good. Um, it's kind of taken a long time to, to develop that process, but you know, now I can go from topic to 5,000 plus word blog post in four or five hours. And this is all done. I want to talk tools for a second. This is all done within Google docs. Yeah. So I use Google docs. Um, I don't know why I, I just, it's what I've always used. I use that for work and then I use like a basic, these IA writer, uh, for other things as well, just because it's less distracting. How about keyword research? What do you typically use for for kind of uncovering those like search opportunities? Um, I've used Moz in the past, and then I use Ahrefs. 
Ahrefs? <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. Ahrefs. Yeah, so I've been using them for just over a year now, and um, that's been great. Um, I use that to track uh, keywords for clients, do research. Um, I'm not by any means an expert at that sort of stuff, but um, you know, it's once you do it a few times, it's it it's becomes easier. Um, I think also learning just to look for, you know, contextually interesting keywords that align with what you're talking about. Um, you know, understanding the importance of an angle. Cause if you just say, well, I'm going to write the next great guide on this massive keyword, like good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Easier said than done. (laughs) Much easier said than done. You know, it's, you know, as you know, man, that takes forever to make that happen. Um, so, you know, there's lots of tricks and things you can play around with, but a lot of that is, you know, experimentation and, and taking time to see what works. Yeah, I like it. Um, now, today, you're actually working a lot with um, Rescue Time, the company that's, mm-hmm. that's behind this productivity software. It helps you block out distracting websites too. Um, what are you seeing today as kind of like your your number one most effective traffic driving strategy? Do you guys kind of just get a lot of like SEO traffic from the search engines or is it something else? Yeah, you know, it's, it's actually been a really interesting journey with them. I got really lucky in the fact that um, they had a great domain authority and backlink profile when I started working there. Um, the app's been around since 2008. Huge. It was um, the, in the first round of Y Combinator. Um, they were sort of one of the first personal analytics, quantified self tools out there. Um, it got covered all over the place. Plus, they tried to do content in, I think, around 2012, um, and they did some really self-admittedly clickbaity data posts. And so they did this one about how much um, Google Pac-Man, the Google Doodle Pac-Man game, um, how much it impacted productivity. And so they looked at the time people spent on Google that day worked it against sort of like average hourly wages. And it was some ridiculous number, billions of dollars for Google Doodle. And that post got picked up by Washington Post, Boston Globe, like all these like companies at that time. So, I mean, that's all to say that they had a great backlink profile, but they were getting very little organic search. Nothing was optimized. Um, The content wasn't really tied to to the offering as much. Um, it was sort of just like all of the basic 101 content marketing sort of mistakes or, or things that you can capitalize. So a lot of low-hanging fruit. Um, so I spent the last year focusing on SEO, on search, um, picking some you know, specific keywords, um, building those up. And now we've kind of, I'd say we almost more than 10 x our traffic in the last year. Um, conversions are up, everything's up, keywords are up. And um, a lot of that has just been optimizations and being very strategic in writing. I'm glad you mentioned strategic because I think <laughs> like finding that match between, you know, the, the article topic that you want to write, the keyword mm-hmm. opportunity, like seeing, okay, a hundred thousand people search for this term per month and matching that up with intent, right? Like meeting the demand of what those actual readers are wanting. Did you mm-hmm. guys have to do much as far as like, rewriting articles to better match intent or was it the core kind of already there? Yeah. So I do a lot of that as well. That's one of my favorite things to do when I come in and work with a client that's already done existing content um, is going through doing an audit, seeing where they've written, looking at the URLs they've already used um, and being like, Oh man, 
<laughs> like we should not have like a 300 word blog post for, you know, this specific keyword. Um, so, and that's what I've been spending a lot of time actually over the last six months is identifying those, beefing up those posts. Um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to see how quickly that can turn around um, just on keywords that you rank for and search traffic. Um, it, it happens really quickly. So I think that a lot of people, uh, content marketers and people that are freelance and things like that, freelance writers, what they, they always think about what's next. You know, what are we going to write next? What's the next big post? Instead of thinking about the fact that you're creating this library and this resource for a company, um, you think about some of the best places that you've spent time on reading blog posts and you're not going there checking for chronologically what's the newest thing. You know, you're coming in from the side door, you're coming in from search. And then if you stick around, it's because they've done a good job at saying, well, you read this, which means you want this and sort of creating that whole ecosystem for you. Um, I have a hard time with that, or I did for a long time coming from a journalism magazine, creative writing background. Um, but now when you sort of realize that your intent is to, you know, create value and help people and make sure that aligns with the product. Once you start thinking that way, it allows you to be more strategic and also to write less, you know, to write less numbers of posts and maybe mm -hmm. more words <laughs> on the ones you do write. Yeah. I'm a big fan of this with my blog too. I, mm -hmm. I was just looking at these stats um, earlier today and I have 153 posts published on my blog total. 90 of which are podcast episodes. So oh. going back from that, I mean, that's not very many actual articles, but still getting, you know, 250 to 300,000 visits a yeah. month. Like, I think I'm a really good case study of like less quantity and higher quality of those individual posts that go after, you know, big opportunities is kind of like the way of the future, I think too, at least for yeah. blogs, right? Publications have kind of a different model, but. Totally, totally. And for blogs, especially, I mean, um, I think the big guy for me was Brian Dean, uh, Bank, mm -hmm. Backlinko. Uh, he's been talking about this for a while too. And, you know, you, you looked at him and he had for a while, he had like 15 posts and that was it. And they were just like yep. the best, most in-depth for these specific things. And you're like, man, okay, that's, that's great. We'll actually have an episode with Brian of the podcast live by time you're hearing this. So go and check that out too for, for his just super hardcore deep dives on, on SEO. Yeah. Listen to him. Don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, Hey, I want to focus uh, this conversation as we come close to the end now um, over to kind of like advice for the writers, the bloggers out there. Um, sure what would you sort of point people towards when it comes to, you know, number one piece of advice for those out there that want to, to kind of like build a side income as a writer, as a freelance writer? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, for me, the biggest thing has been building a network, um, building referrals and being known as someone who does what they say they're going to do. I mean, as a writer, you're always fighting deadlines. I mean, that is, that is always what is going to be there driving you forward. And if you're the kind of person who, hit, who hits deadlines, people want to work with you. If you're the kind of person who doesn't hit deadlines, I think you know what happens. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it's, it's been a crazy roller coaster going from journalism to startup uh, editor to freelancer. Um, but at every sort of movement of that or each transition, um, it's always been about people you know, reaching out, small contacts. Um, you know, it's easy to sit in your room. I think I've talked about this already and kind of just be that person typing away. Um, but building your, your network, your personal network, it doesn't have to be huge. 
you don't have to go out there and spam people and, and cold email 900 other people, but, you know, build a couple people, build a network of like five people, five people that are influential in spaces that you can help, that they can help you. And it, it's massive. I mean, I think that's even how we met each other, Ryan. Yeah, that is, it is. <laughs> it was through a project with uh, crew actually, when you were that's at- it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I just so, want to say also, before we start recording this interview, you had literally just come from a meetup with other writers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it's weird because I do everything online, like a lot of people. And so um, sort of doing these localized events once in a while is a good grounding thing, especially for people like me who live in cities that, you know, aren't as known for for this sort of work. It's uh, It's good to find that small group of people who you can, uh, you can vent to once in a while. Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, Joy, my last question for you. Um, what would you say has been the best investment you've personally made in the context of growing your writing muscle? And this can be in the form of, you know, time, money, education, tools, product services, or otherwise. Man, I don't know. <laughs> I, I would, I'd be, the boring answer is, is, investing in building a network, honestly, a hundred percent, just from getting experience and, and advice from people to getting work. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Every person I know who wants to become a freelancer, whether it's a writer or whatever like that, this is the only thing I talk about is I'm like, well, who's your network? Who's giving you work? You know, where are you finding this? Um, the world's only getting more competitive. And, you know, if you're getting everything through word of mouth, I mean, you're ahead of most people. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I use boring tools, so stick to the network. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, well, Jory, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone listening, watching, where they can go to learn more about you and everything that you're up to? Um, sure, you can follow me on Twitter, Jory McKay. Um, that's pretty much it, or on Medium. I, I publish most stuff there as well. Um, yeah, that's it. Beautiful. All right, thanks, man. Thanks, Ryan. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.